It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm with Bill Koch, our Red Sox writer. We're in downtown Providence in the Journal podcast studio for our weekly Red Sox chat. So, Bill, how about them Bruins? Bill, I'm going to open this podcast with an apology to you. Uh, okay. If I get a little snippy here or a little short, uh, it has nothing to do with you. Okay. Uh, right, you has, you've been in combat duty as of late. It, it has to do with uh, my general mood after watching these Red Sox over Man. the last four days against Tampa. Well, no, no one could blame you. Uh, you know, the Red Sox certainly have... Um, not given us much to uh, to be encouraged about this year, and this latest four game sweep uh, at the hands of the of the Tampa Bay Rays in Fenway Park uh, really was just uh, a bludgeoning. Really, I mean, their pitching has just been so horrible, and it's something that we've talked about obviously on every podcast, but it's really uh, been uh, so starkly evident in the last week or so how they really just do not have any pitching. You get beyond. Nate Avaldi and Martin Perez, who continues to to do a, a, a good job, uh, but you get beyond that, and you're looking at ERAs of you know seven, eight, nine, twelve. Uh, one ERA, I think Kyle Hart, I just saw, who you know unfortunately just got beat up last night, is like 22. So you're usually not going to win too many games, uh, giving up that many runs, and it's it's uh, frustrating because you know the the offense uh, certainly has not been firing on all cylinders, but They've still been able to f- somehow figure out how to put up, you know, f- six, seven, even eight runs sometimes, and usually that that's that's <laughs> that's enough. But not when you give up seventeen. No, it's been really discouraging. Uh, you know, and Tampa Bay just just exposed them. Really, uh, you know, there's really no other way to say it. Forty-two runs in four games, uh, a new Tampa Bay franchise record over a four-game series. Uh, Thursday, you lose seventeen to eight. You've given up 16 runs and 16 hits before you've recorded your 16th out, <laughs> which I think says all you need to know. Uh, Kyle Hart really felt bad for him. He's making his debut. They make errors behind him in the first inning. Uh, and then in the third inning, Tampa's bats catch up with him. Um, it, it, it was just a, it's an organizational failure at this point, Bill. I think it goes beyond the team. I think it goes beyond Ron Renneke. Um, the Red Sox, as a collective, as a whole, are failing in front of us right now. Um, and speaking of Renicky, and I and I, you know, posted something on my Facebook uh, feed this week saying I, I really have no idea how Ron Renicky is as a manager because how do you gauge uh, his performance when you don't give him really any tools in terms of? I mean, in today's game, I would say sixty, seventy percent of uh, the skill as a manager is dealing with your pitching staff mm-hmm. who to start when to pull, pull him when to you know go with the particular reliever I mean you know you, you he looks in that bullpen and I'm sure he says oh man what do I do now it's like just right. spinning a roulette wheel and like all right I'll just just go with this guy and, and you know you kind of feel sad for for him and and uh, you, you mentioned Kyle Hart and you know it was a it was a feel-good story there uh, and you you wrote about it uh, that he uh, was down at the alternate training site here in uh, McCoy Stadium gets called in to talk to uh, the manager and they tell him that uh, he wasn't wearing his mask properly and that Major League Baseball is going to fine him and that uh, 
you could you could pay that fine on Thursday in Fenway Park when you start the right. game, which was uh, you know which was great. And I guess his brother flew up and was in Boston to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly a historic, uh, special uh, day for Kyle Hart, and it just you know obviously didn't go so well for him. Yeah, you would have liked to have seen better. Uh, you know, obviously first <clears throat> inning he he walks the first batter on four pitches. Uh, you know, second hitter hits a ground ball to second. Jonathan Arauz kicks it. Um, you know, they give up two honor and runs there. Uh, and then in the third, he, he runs into some trouble on his own. As, as he said after his start, he gave up a pair of two-strike homers there. And, and, you know, he called that unacceptable. I think he's right. Um, you know, as he said, you, you can work around walks occasionally. You can get a double play ball or somebody to pop up or whatever it is. But when you have someone down in the count, you need to be able to finish them. And, and you know, he looked a little nervous, obviously. wasn't locating the way he was uh, at the alternate training site. His last two simulated outings, he retired 34 out of the 38 batters he faced. So there's obviously some ability there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's difficult to go out there in your first major league start and, and be pinpoint and, and be excellent. Um, you know, and I think we just saw – a little bit of that nervousness come through. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was – it's at a difficult time that you ask the guy to go out there because the Red Sox are obviously floundering going into that series finale. You know, there's a lot to point to, and we can clearly talk on – you mentioned Jonathan Aruz's uh, miscue. Uh, Raphael Devers hasn't exactly been Brooks Robinson over at third base late, lately. No. Uh, Michael Chavis has had a few, uh, I want to say, uh, you know, brain farts, uh, you know, trying to – come home on a play and probably should have just gone to first and last night or the night before he got a ground ball and the Wednesday ball got night. stuck stuck in his webbing which I, I understand night. is not your fault but it's just yeah. it's just emblematic of what's happening with the team but you know even all of those uh, miscues don't don't pile up or don't measure up to the ineptitude that's been uh, that we've witnessed on the mound so I, I want to get into that a little bit uh, and I know that um, uh, the Red Sox uh Sam Kennedy was talking about pitching a little bit, uh, both during the broadcast one night, and I guess it went on uh, the Greg Hill show as well, uh, and talking about uh, you know the makeup of the of the pitching staff. <clears throat> so here's my take on it, Bill, and and you know we'll get yours in a second. Sure, uh, but I don't think our views are that <laughs> that different on this. <laughs> There's really only one place you could be. Right, here. you you need more pitching, Sam. <laughs> That's basically that's my million dollar advice. You should have gotten more pitching, Sam. You know, uh, Brian Cashman Corey right. comes out and says you know, more pitching. How Sam. hard is that to figure out? I mean, so you're going into the season. Let's let's just let's just uh, we, we 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 joke, but right? Bill Bill is about to give you a, a bit of, a, a bit more of a forensic analysis, well, really, on, on how we've gotten to this. So point. so um, you, you know, you go into the season and. Even if you are the most optimistic person in the world, we're we're starting in like like February here, right? Somewhere around there, January, February. I'm talking about right after the end of last year. Okay. Okay, and you know Chris Sale had been shut down. Yes. Right at that point, you you didn't think you needed Tommy. He needed Tommy John surgery. You hope not. You hope not. Right. right. Uh, and and he started spring training, and things looked like he would be able to kind of. Well, he started throwing. Let's say that he started throwing, and he felt mm-hmm. initially felt good and stuff, but. Let's go back to before we knew the pandemic was coming and all of that stuff. The mm-hmm. end of last year, you're lo- and, and you know, you, Hyam Bloom comes in, and obviously there's a effort to kind of trim payroll and stuff. <clears throat> so, I think if you are um, the GM or the president of baseball operations, I think it would be overly optimistic to feel that you were going to get Chris Sale 
uh, to throw a full season for you. He hadn't done that in a couple of seasons. So regardless of how you feel about him, even if you were overly optimistic and think you, you would get him to pitch, I don't know that you could count on a, on a full season. So let's say uh, you go in thinking, all right, well, we'll have Chris Sale, hopefully, and we'll have Eduardo Rodriguez. Obviously, what happened with Erod, nobody could have uh, imagined. I mean, the pandemic, and he got uh, he tested positive for COVID, and then the, then the heart condition, and, and they wisely shut him down for the year. But nobody right. could foresee that happening. No. No. Um, <clears throat> and then you had Nate Navaldi, mm-hmm. who you know, okay, you figure, all right, he he can probably be a number three guy. You know, uh, that's not asking too much of him. No. Uh, and I don't remember when they went out and got Martin Perez. But, that was early in the Yeah, but I was going to say, that, that happened before all the, the COVID stuff. It was stuff. December, January, So, yeah. okay, at that point, Martin Perez, I think you were looking at, oh, well, this guy's not a bad number four or five, you know? Um, but that you still had to figure out the fifth starter. You still didn't have a legitimate arm that, you've, that you could have turned to and say, well, here's a number five guy. So you, you were going to figure that out. Why not go and get another arm at that point for a you could have filled the number five spot at least at that point Mm -hmm. or insurance in case you know chris sale would not be able to pitch this season which lo and behold he you know he wasn't able to so instead you kind of go in thinking well we're going to figure out number five well you lose chris sale Erod, obviously, we don't know. Uh, nobody can foresee that. But you you lose Erod. Now your pitching staff is basically two guys, mm-hmm. Evaldi and um, Martin Perez. And now you've got to figure out, <laughs> sort of figure out three spots right. instead of just one. Uh, you, you know, it's really unacceptable for the Red Sox. You know, this is the Boston Red Sox, right? Perennially at the top of the payroll scale. Um, for them not to have another... Major league quality arm, and you know here we are. I think we're legitimately three weeks into the season now, mm-hmm. and the season's just about over. I mean, unless they turn around and have an amazing streak, and I don't know where that would come from. You know, they, they're planted squarely in last place. I don't see how they would get into the playoffs unless they go on an incredible run, uh, but certainly not with the pitching staff they have. The only way that you're going to win eight or nine <clears throat> games in a row is if you get consistently good starting pitching, and and obviously as you just detailed uh they don't have that they don't have that in their organization they don't have that on their current 28-man roster there's no way that you can go out there and get quality starts every night and actually give your offense a chance to get into some of these games um a few points that that you made there bill and and i think they're well taken uh first i i think there was one goal for this team going into the year and it was to get under the competitive balance tax Mm -hmm. I think that was the only goal above everything else. I think Chaim Bloom has done exactly what ownership asked him to do, which was get under $208 million or whatever it is now prorated, reset the tax penalties, and start over in 21 and, and 22. I, I think that was above anything else with this team. It's hard to argue. Um, you know, and, and you just look at the product that they put out on the field, and, and you can't really refute that uh, because, as you've said, they have left holes on this roster in the rotation, in the field. This roster is severely flawed in multiple areas. Mm. Um, and, and there weren't necessarily uh, zealous attempts to, to fix that. Uh, you're looking at their rotation right now, what's left of it. Uh, Ryan Weber was optioned to Pawtucket after three starts and a 990 ERA. Matt Hall got a start. He was optioned to the alternate site. Your starters, not named Divaldi and Perez, have an ERA north of 10. You've got a bullpen game t- 
tonight to start a four-game series against the Yankees. Colton Brewer is going to start against Garrett Cole. Hmm. That's one of the biggest mismatches you're going to find in, in baseball all season, yeah. a bullpen game against Garrett Cole, of all people. Right. Um, so I, I go back at early into the offseason, like you, and I look at Sale, and I think you know, and Sale uh, had a conference call with, with Boston Media on Thursday. And Sale said, hindsight being what it is, I would have had Tommy John surgery last August. Um, but I wanted to exhaust all possibilities and, and see what was going to happen um, and see whether or not I could throw. And, and I think Sale is the type of guy who knew he was going into a five-year extension, who does not like the idea of sitting at home and collecting his paycheck while not working. Uh, I think that personally galls him. Uh, I think he really dislikes it. Mm. Um, and so I think he, he was a little bullheaded, a little bullheaded and a little stubborn and, and probably said to them, I want to pitch. Mm. I don't want to have the surgery. I want to do anything I can to pitch. Part of that, I give him credit for. Another part of that, I say it's cost the organization a little bit because not only is he not pitching in 2020, he's not going to be able to start 2021 right. on time. Right. Um, that is unfortunate. Um, if anyone should have known Chris Sale's medical records, it was the Red Sox. You they've would think. Had, they've had him for the last three years. Right, right. There should be no mysteries there in terms of his health and, 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 and his ability to, uh, to throw. You knew his elbow was not healthy. Yeah. You knew it. Um, and so you should have made some sort of contingency plan for it. The fact that you didn't suggests that you wanted to stay under the tax more than anything else. Yeah. As you said, you could not have seen what happened with Eduardo Rodriguez. That is not your fault. That's not the Red Sox fault. We hope he's okay. We hope he's recovering well and that he's back in 21. Yep. Um, you sent away David Price, who, who ultimately ended up opting out of this season. But you sent away David Price, a, mm-hmm. a guy who could have made 12 or 13 starts in a row and, and given you some sort of professional innings here. Um, you're left with Evaldi, Perez, and what essentially amounts to three bullpen days every five turns. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just way too much to ask from the guys coming out of there. And, and, you know, I would turn to what they did yesterday, giving Kyle Hart a, a chance to make his debut. I would give him nine or ten starts here. Figure out if he's part of this going forward. Yeah. If he's not, he has options. You stash him in Pawtucket. You make him a depth guy who can come up and make a spot start. Mm-hmm. But figure out whether or not he can be part of this rotation going forward. This is the ideal chance now to give him sort of a dry run. I, I don't think that you're going to see some of their other maybe more elite prospects like Tanner Houck or Brian Matta or Jay Groom. They're going to manipulate their service time. They know that this team isn't going anywhere. Right. They're going to make them more of a part of 21 or 22. I don't think that you're going to see them come up to Boston. But I think, Bill, your points are, are well taken. This is an inadequate staff that was put together on a shoestring budget uh, with one mandate from the top, which was to get under the CBT, and that's it. You know, the other thing, too, Bill, and you brought this up, I believe, in one of your your, uh, your stories, was that, you know, this is not like um, teams of the past where they were showing you the f- their future stars, and the, and the fans could sort of get a little bit excited and say, okay, well, we're going to take our lumps now, but in a year or two, these guys are going to progress to the point where we're going to be really good. We're going to have a lot of young, inexpensive talent that we're going to be able to keep for some time. That's not what this is. This is basically 
you know, for the lack of a better term, getting a warm body out there. The the team that came to mind for me was one of the teams of my youth, Atlanta in the nineties. Yeah, uh, Atlanta in the eighties was not a good baseball team. They they were perennial cellar dweller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in the NL NL East at the time. NL West. When did they realign? I think it was the NL, I think it was the NL uh, NL West. Yeah. But all of a sudden they bring through. Tom Glavin, Steve Avery, David Justice, you know Ron Gant, all these young right. stud prospects who they developed, and you could see it coming as the '90s started, and all of a sudden they reel off 13 straight division titles. Yeah. And you say the Braves had a plan. You look at Oakland in the 2000s and all the guys that they brought through, Houston in the 2010s, yep. and the guys that they brought through, and you think they turned the kids loose, they let them lose 100 games, but they were building it together. Yeah. The Red Sox have taken guys off the scrap heap here, put them out there, and said, good luck. These are lottery tickets, essentially. They're hoping to hit on one. They've gotten a, gotten a couple. Phillips Valdez has been good. Yeah, uh, There have been a few other guys who have been decent. But in terms of starting pitching and, and just overall quality that's going to bring you into the top half of the division – very sorely lacking on this squad. You know, you mentioned uh, the Braves and and the A's and obviously the Astros. And I I think the difference uh, in those markets is, uh, you know, uh, baseball is not as big a deal uh, in the sports markets of those teams as as it is here in in New England. I just don't know that the fans and us, you know, uh, overly uh, grumpy types in the media would really (laughs) would really sit for that for that you know speak speak for for yourself i'm not grumpy how dare you (laughs) i don't know i can show you some of the texts you were sending me i am grumpy it's true (laughs) but the point is i don't know that the fans and the media and everyone that cares about the red sox would would sit through three or four seasons of well we're getting there we're developing you know i mean it's one thing to have a down year but i think if you have um the success and the payroll and you charge the ticket prices that uh, that the Red Sox do, there's an expectation. It's sort of like a, a contract with the, with the fans. Hey, mm-hmm. we know that we are charging you more money than anybody else in baseball. We know that it's not cheap to have Nesson if you want to have Nesson to watch all the games. We know that when you come to Fenway Park, it's going to cost you a lot of money to park, to buy the tickets. To buy the twelve dollar beers or the fourteen dollar beers and the and the hot dogs and you know we know it's not a cheap you know a cheap date right but here's what we're going to do in return we're going to put a really good team there that you can root for and feel proud of and go buy the merchandise and every now and then we're going to get ourselves into a World Series you know it, it's hard to sell that when you look at a team like this and you're thinking well where's the future here. You know, now that's not to say they don't have young great players. They do. Raphael Devers, I think, is much better than what he's been showing lately. Uh, Let's hope. <clears throat> I think Benintendi is probably better than what he's been showing for the last year and a half or so. Let's hope. But right, but uh, you know, still, in an ideal world, those guys are kind of sprinkled into a a team that is already talented, and you're not taking such a step back. That you're, you know, you're in last place for a few seasons. You know, usually, you know, you're still competing, but maybe you don't have the arms to get over the hump. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, I don't know. And this is not the kind of team you look at and say, well, just give us a couple of years and, and wait. Usually, the way the Red Sox build it is they go out and sign a couple of big time players. They sprinkle in a few uh, hot prospects, and presto, you're in the World Series. You know, John Henry, to his credit, <clears throat> has spent top dollar. On his rosters sure. in the past, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he is not cheap by any stretch. Uh, mm-hmm. He is not an owner who has refused to back his team. 
Um, which is why this season in particular is just so jarring. This hard reset. Um, when he let it slip last fall that it was a goal, not a mandate, to get under the collective balance tax. Generally, if you're around John Henry enough, if you've seen him do press conferences, if you've listened to his remarks about his team, some of that honesty slips through the cracks, maybe inadvertently, yeah. maybe when he's not expecting it. It, it sort of comes out. Uh, there was a rush to clarify the next day by Tom Werner saying, <laughs> you know, no, no, John doesn't want to get under the tax. That, that's not really what that was right. about. He, <laughs> he would just like us to be more fiscally responsible. Sure. Well, John Henry had already spilled the beans. Right, right. Uh, he had told you that, that they wanted right. a hard reset of the penalties. Um, and so when the Red Sox go into spring training and they trade Mookie Betts as a means to move David Price's salary, or half of it, um, you know what that's about. It's not about talent on the field. It's not about the 2020 team. And the players aren't stupid. They see that going on. They know how good that guy is. You just sent him out the door. Your best player, a generational talent, a homegrown star, someone who you should be building around. The existing members of that roster, the current members of that roster, they know what that's about. You know, don't insult their intelligence by saying, we're going to be fine. We're going to bring in this guy and that guy and this guy, and it's going to be okay. They know differently. And so the further we get into this now, you have to wonder about what this sort of losing is going to do to their culture going forward. Well, and, and let's start. Let's talk about that as the, with the trade deadline uh, approaching here in a couple of weeks. Trade, de- trade deadline this year is August 31st because of the shortened season, which is only uh, two weeks and a couple of days away. Uh, and by the way, if you forgot how good uh, Mookie Betts uh, is or was, he reminded you last night, didn't he? Three home runs for the Dodgers. Uh, he is currently now one of three players all time who have six three homer games. Johnny Mize. <clears throat> Sammy Sosa or the other two, Mookie Betts is 27 years old. Right. I would give odds that over the next 10 years, he's probably going to have one more of those and own that record right. all by himself. And I think he's I think he's hitting right around 300 for the Dodgers and obviously playing a, a very good outfield. He and, has a 1062 know. OPS right. through 20 games. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that'll get it done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, boy, could they use somebody like that in the lineup right now. Um, well, they, but, they've struggled for a leadoff hitter. Right. We, we've chronicled that over the last sure. week. Andrew Benintendi isn't up to the job. Alex Verdugo would prefer to hit second. There's your catalyst, your fire starter uh, at the top of the lineup. They've jettisoned him to Los Angeles. Their offense has paid the price in the early going. Uh, It's very difficult to get started without someone like that. So before we uh, before we uh, went on, uh, uh, well, we're not on the air, but before we started recording this, uh, you asked me, uh, do you do you think there are any untouchables on the Red Sox in terms of trading? That was based on something that Sam Kennedy said. I, I think to Hillman the other day, mm. he um, you know, he was talking about the state of the roster, and, and Hillman asked him whether or not uh, any of the Red Sox out of this current group should be considered untouchable. And, and Kennedy said something along the lines of, I, I really don't think so. Yeah. Which, I don't know if I necessarily agree with him on that. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by it, but I, I think it's probably something that he felt obligated to say based on the current performance of the team. Sure. I mean, you know, uh, you are answering to the fans, obviously, and I think the, the uh, current performance of the team uh, leads the fans to say, you know, trade everybody and start over it's not that simple but you know my reaction to that question would it was initially well you can't trade Xander Bogarts uh you know he's on a team-friendly contract he's he is legitimately a great player an elite uh player in the league 
Uh, he, I know he's been banged up a little bit as of late and maybe not, uh, you know, uh, maintaining the hot start that, that he's had. Uh, but beyond that, you know, and, and we could argue certainly, uh, well, and I think probably Raphael Devers, too, because he's just... Um, you, you know, you've got him for, for so cheap at this point. You've got control of him for a few more years, and he's he's such an elite hitter, or so he has shown. Although this year it's hasn't really uh, hasn't really made itself evident, and he's been uh, let's say less than stellar in the field. I still think that uh, you probably don't trade Raphael Devers because you you've seen how good he can be, and he's not really costing you anything. Right, he's shown you what the ceiling can be, or, or yeah. what something approaching the ceiling can be. Right. Right. So um, I guess those would be my two that I, I would say are untouchable. But you brought up a good point about uh, about Bogarts and, and why don't you discuss that? Well, th- this sort of gets into the, the cultural argument that, you know, this this sort of season, the damage that it could do to the Red Sox, uh, you know, organizationally as a brand in terms of morale, uh, in terms of where their direction is. Mm. Um you know, Xander Bogarts is, is a 27-year-old guy, uh, an elite character, not just an elite player, but uh, the captain, if yep. not necessarily in name, certainly in function. Uh, he is the leader of this team. Um, he's won two World Series. He's been in the playoffs just about every season. He is used to being in contention, being in October, playing for real stakes, yep. playing for championships. This season is not representative of who he is and what he's about. He took a team-friendly deal, six years, $120 million. He's paid $10 million less a year than Manny Machado. He's not that far away from Manny Machado. No, no he's not $10 million a year worse than Manny Machado. Xander Bogarts can opt out at the end of next season. He'll be 29 years old. Stands to reason that if we are through the pandemic, and, and Lord willing, we are, mm-hmm and finances in baseball are starting to return to something resembling normal. Xander Bogarts would have three years left and $60 million on his deal. He could certainly add three or four years and maybe get a raise of three, four, five million million annually mm-hmm. to that deal if he put himself out on the market. He, so he'd be 20, 29 he'd be at 29. That? Yeah, yeah. No, the th- that's, next that's, that's reasonable, sure. And so you're looking at if this continues – Mm-hmm. into next year, whether it's another 60 games, 162, whatever it is. And the Red Sox haven't shown some sort of direction, some sort of growth, progress, whatever right. it is. Right. If they are poor, again, does Xander Bogarts look at this team and say, I want to tie myself to this, hmm. not only for the next three years, but you know, maybe the, the next four, five, six, seven years? Yep. Or am I going to go somewhere else where I am – playing at a level that I am accustomed to playing at, which is playing for championships, being in the playoffs, um, playing games in October with real stakes. You have to ask the same question about J.D. Martinez, who could opt out at the end of this year, who is going to be approaching his mid-30s. Right. J.D. Martinez has won a World Series. He's now played in October. Is he going to be thinking, can I add another year or two onto this? Do I really want to spend 34, 35, 36 at a place that's rebuilding? Right. Um, you look at free agents and you say, you know, if the Red Sox actually do get to the point where they have some financial flexibility in 21 or 22, are you going to be able to add a veteran free agent who could put you over the top? 
Or is he going to look and say, Boston's not ready to win. They're still rebuilding. I don't necessarily think I want to go there. Right. So what's happening right now, I, I think, goes beyond the field. I, I think you really need to pay attention to where this goes organizationally. Uh, as I said a couple minutes ago, players are not stupid. They saw the Red Sox trade Mookie Betts. That is not a move to get better mm-hmm. in 2021 or 2022 or whatever else. They saw the Red Sox try to make the best deal with Mookie Betts, not the best offer. So how willing are they going to be to negotiate with Boston right. going forward? Uh, I think they're at a crossroads right now, not just on the field, but organizationally. And I think that is probably more of my concern than the current product night in and night out. You know, it's amazing what uh, what a season or two will do. Uh, when when did Bogart sign that extension? Was it the beginning of last year? It was at the start of last year. Right. They announced it in Oakland, which was the second series of the year. They, they started in Seattle. Right. Um, they announced it in Oakland. I think it was the first day uh, of the Oakland series. And I remember they... Uh, I was on that trip. Normally right. at, at the Journal, we don't do West Coast trips because the games are over you know, well after our deadlines. Uh, but I was on that trip because it was opening day mm-hmm. and the start of the season. Uh, they had a press conference in Oakland, and it was Bogarts and his agent, Scott Boris. Uh, Dave Dombrowski was there. Alex Cora was there. Uh, he was the manager at the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I remember the look on Scott Boris's face. Uh, the mega agent, obviously, who I, I think he negotiated about a billion dollars worth of deals this offseason. Garrett Cole's <laughs> one of his clients and, right. and a few others. Right. Um, Scott Boris looked like someone who kicked his dog. Right. Uh, because Xander Bogart decided right. to take the team-friendly deal and not go to free agency and, and stay with the Red Sox. Right. That, was not the, that was not out of the, bo- the uh, Boris playbook, for sure. The normal Scott Boris playbook is to take his players to market and to extract every single dollar that right. he can. And quite frankly, that's an agent's job. That's, that's what you're right. supposed to do. Exactly. Um, you know, that's what he did for Garrett Cole, obviously, getting yeah. him the most guaranteed money uh-huh. uh, that any pitcher has ever signed for, $324 million over nine years. Um, Bogarts went against that because Bogarts is a little bit of a different guy, uh, born and raised with the Red Sox, uh, you know, signed as, as a teenager out of Aruba by them, uh, had won two championships with them at that point, was playing for a manager who he really liked right. and, and respected. Uh, there were a lot of reasons for him to stay. Um, and Boris took his client's direction, which is also what he's supposed to do as an agent, negotiated the deal, but also was careful to put the opt-out in there. Uh, that was his stipulation. Mm. He said, Xander, maybe you'll change your mind in three years. Six years is a long time to commit. Yeah. You'll be a free agent again before you're 30 if right. you decide to opt out. Right. If you outperform this contract, which I think he might have known that he would do, and, and he certainly did last season, Yep. Uh, we can renegotiate, get you a little raise, get you a little more tenure. Mm-hmm. Um it's a really interesting thing to, to look at right now. Well, you know, if you if you go back in time, you know, uh, uh, the beginning of the of the nineteen season, the Red Sox were just coming off a World Series championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, at least I didn't think that Mookie Betts would be going. I mean, I figured, well, you know, look at this team. They're they, going to work this out. They're going to they're going to figure it out. They can't let this guy right. go. You're going to have Mookie Betts. You know, uh, at the time, I think people felt, well, Chris Sale, he's going to be okay. You know, uh, you still had David Price on the roster. You know, I think if you were Xander Bogarts, you looked around and you said, hey, we're really good. Yes. And we're going to we're going to be good for a while. Correct. Why wouldn't I want to stay here? That's right. You know, uh, you know, it's amazing what a year does. Here we are at the beginning of this season. Everything has changed. And, 
that's not even talking about the pandemic. Everything else has changed in terms of the makeup of the Red Sox. So yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't shock me if if he did exercise that clause that Boris insisted on getting in there to to opt out if he feels that uh, uh, you know staying with the Red Sox may not be the best thing for his career. Because I certainly think that 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 Bogarts could match that deal elsewhere. It's not it's it's not a contract that is so. Um, uh, you know, team unfriendly that nobody would want to touch it. Certainly not. You know, it's it's. No. It, he, I mean, he's as you said, he outplayed the contract last year. Uh, you know, this year it's sort of it's hard to tell, but uh, he could he could opt out even if he just almost wanted to, you know, sort of trade even money, but go to a, a team that he felt would be more in contention more immediately. The the shame of it is that we have reached the point through 19 games, through regime change, through an organizational shift in philosophy, that we're even having this discussion, and, right. and I think that speaks to the troubles of the Red Sox at the moment more than the on-field product. So I would say beyond uh, Bogarts, who obviously is not a uh, is not a lock, but uh, I would say be, be beyond Bogarts and Raphael Devers, I don't know that there's anybody that you would consider untouchable. And, and <laughs> certainly Bogarts may not be untouchable for the reasons we just discussed. I, I think the biggest issue that you have if you're the Red Sox right now in, in terms of the trade market is some of the guys <clears throat> that you could move who, who are on team-friendly deals and, and whatnot, they're not anywhere approaching the peak of their value. Um, you know, so let's say if you were to go back in time to 2018, where Andrew Benintendi was in the ascendancy, uh, he went from like a 770s OPS to 830, mm. um, looked like a guy who was going to be a 2020 guy annually with 40 doubles, um, you know, could play all three outfield positions and whatever else. Well, he's trended down sure. the last two years. Absolutely. He's gone from what would have been a, a centerpiece in a trade to an auxiliary piece in a trade. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily deal him right now because his value isn't you know approaching what it should be. Right. Um, at, le- at least that's what we think. That's what we think. You know, I mean, we've seen Andrew Benintendi play at a very high level, both uh, defense and obviously as a hitter. Uh, but it's been a little while, Bill. The the offers that you would get for him probably aren't what you would like to see for him. Sure. Right sure. now, be- um, be- because because we've seen what his ceiling yes. has been. I I think you know I think. Depending on how much you want to excuse twenty games and and uh, you know the fact that he he has changed a bit physically over the off season, yeah, uh, you might not get maximum value for Raphael Devers right now if if you really decided to to shop him aggressively. Now I'm I'm not saying they should do that. I wouldn't trade him. No, um, you know, but he might not approach max value. No, he's hitting one sixty nine right now. So you know it, it would it would be. I would think uh, trading him at lesser at a lesser value. You know, someone like JD Martinez who can opt out of his deal at the end of this year. Um, you know, how much does the opt out dissuade teams from trading for him? Yeah. Uh, you know, theoretically, you're you're getting two and a half years out of him. If he opts out, you only get half a year. Yeah, or, but you, or a couple months. Yeah, but you know, I, I think that they'd be more than willing to to. Uh, to trade if if they're getting a decent return. If there's a team in in contention and they want a bat heading into, uh, I, I was going to say October. Yeah, I guess it'll still be October when they play playoffs this year. Uh, you know, he may he may fit the bill. The Red Sox may feel well. You know, chances are he's going to opt out, or we, we our feeling is that he's going to opt out. So why don't we get something for him now? I, I certainly don't think he's he's untouchable. I would love to see him. St- 
stay with the Red Sox. I think he's an elite hitter, but uh, I don't think he's an untouchable person. I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I, I'm looking more in terms of what they might receive for offers. You right. Know, who Who is sort of like an ironclad grade A? You're going to trade him at the top of his value guy who's currently on this roster. Yeah. And, and it has to do with contractual situations as well. Right. Um, you know, maybe the only guy that, that you would get top dollar for in return would be Christian Vasquez at this point. Right. Because he's on a very team-friendly deal. Uh, over the last year and a half, he, he's been one of the top five offensive catchers in baseball. Um, you know, but does that trade make you better? Realistically, do you have a replacement for him? Uh, how much are you going to get for him? Does it outweigh what he's going to give you? over the next two years and, and maybe into 22 when there's an option involved. So, you know, I, I think you know, I, I think they're in a really interesting spot where they're probably going to sell and it's going to be ancillary pieces to try and build depth mm. in their farm system. Uh, someone like Matt Barnes could probably get them an A prospect because he has another year of control after this year. Right. He could be a 7th or an 8th inning guy on a good team. He's done that before. He has postseason experience and has pitched very well, uh, particularly in 2018 in the role in uh, the ride to the championship. He had an ERA just north of 1 yep. in 11 or 12 appearances. was very good in that postseason. Um, you know, guys like Jackie Bradley or Kevin Pillar or Mitch Moreland or Brandon Workman, those are all sort of guys who are going to be free agents next year who you don't have any more team control over, who might not necessarily be part of the long-term future here. Um, you know, if you're looking out to 2022 or 23, if you could get B-level prospects for all of those guys and, and maybe sort of add some depth to your system, whether it's at double A or at triple A, uh, you know, guys who are close right. to the big leagues who, who might be a fourth starter or an extra outfield bat or, you know, another catcher, things like that, another sure. bullpen arm, whatever it might be. Their moves are going to be about team control, salary, um, you know, trying to get younger. Right. Because I, I, I do not see them. This year, obviously, they, they punted on before it started. Mm. You, you get the feeling. I do not see them getting to a point, pitching-wise, where they're going to be able to contend in 21. No. I, I don't think there, there's going to be enough there unless you go out and make a major splash in free agency. And I don't necessarily know that they're going to want to spend over the tax right away again. Right. Um, you're probably looking more now at 22 or 23. And if you're a Red Sox fan, that, that has to be unacceptable. This should not be a rebuilding situation based on what you spend, based on who you are. Not for three seasons. This should not be (laughs) something that is allowed to bottom out like this. It should never get to the point. Where you were bottoming out like this, it's 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 embarrassing, and I think I think we saw it at its worst on Thursday in the ninth inning, and and I know you and I talked Gosh. about that before yeah. we came on the podcast. Yeah, I know, I know. You you bring in a position player to pitch, he gets he almost gets hurt, um, you know, and they just they don't they don't have any arms with fifteen know. pitchers on the roster. Right, <laughs> you have to go to a position player to right. pitch. He takes a line drive off the knee. He has to leave the game. You bring a catcher out of an auxiliary dugout. You put him at second base. You put Zue Lim behind the plate. You take Kevin Plawecki, who's caught the whole game. You put him on the mound. They don't allow you to do that in Williamsport, right. in Little League, because right. they're worried about the kids' arms. Yeah. They don't let the catchers pitch after a certain amount of time or without a certain amount of rest. Yeah. They throw Kevin Plawecki out there to finish that game. 
because your pitching staff has been so incredibly inadequate right. that they can't get 27 outs against the Rays. You have to use two position players in the ninth inning of that game. <laughs> right. It crossed the line from disappointing to embarrassing It did for me then. And Ron Renneke said after the game, this is about as bad as it gets. He felt bad that Peraza got hurt. He felt bad that he had to make those decisions. I feel bad that he's been put in that position with this roster to have to make those decisions and that comes from above him. Yeah, oh absolutely. And and, and uh, you know one of your columns this past week uh, spoke to that. I think the headline we had in print was blame the boss. Uh, and it's true. I mean, you know, to to some degree uh, you know, you can get angry with Ron Renicki, I guess, but uh, what does he have to work with? What are the options that he has when he looks at that lineup card every day and says, "Oh boy, what am I going to, you know, who am I going to throw out there now when this guy blows up in the third inning? You know, what's the parade of relievers I'm going to get get ready to to go out there? And just a quick plug for Ploiecki, you know, uh, zero ERA over two thirds innings. Yes. So among the le- among the team leaders right now, <laughs> and he now. works quick too. Put him back out there. <laughs> right. There's basically one or maybe two pitches he's got. Catch so. it and throw it. He's ready to go. <laughs> so, uh, Bill, uh, I want to uh, touch on a couple things here before we uh, before we wrap up. And the first is that the Red Sox are heading down to the Bronx for yet another bludgeon, I mean series, uh, <laughs> this weekend with the mighty Yankees. The Yankees are, uh, you know, even with oh. even with some of the uh, some of the setbacks they've had health wise and stuff, uh, you know, they they are cruising along. They are twelve and six. Uh, they are in first place uh, in the American League East, clearly bound for September. Uh, they are uh, the Red Sox are going to face Garrett Cole, as you mentioned tonight. Uh, you know, it almost doesn't seem fair. <laughs> it almost doesn't yeah. seem fair that the Red Sox have to go into the Bronx against that team with with the way the Red Sox have been pitching. But you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Yankees um, are everything that we expected them to be this season, and the Red Sox are just so far behind. Yeah. I, I would be amazed if they could even nick one game. You know, and the, the scary thing is is that the Yankee pitching hasn't even been that good. Uh, you know, James Paxson has, has struggled a little bit. Yeah. J.A. Happ has struggled a little bit. Um, you know, Garrett Cole has been quite good, as expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The Yankees' bullpen has been quite right. good, and that, as expected. Sure, sure. Uh, and the lineup is is relentless. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, know, there are no breaks in that lineup. No, Aaron Judge is, is looking like an MVP candidate. Yep. Uh, Gio Urshel continues Man, he's the breakout that he started in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just so many options in that lineup for Aaron Boone. Sure. It, it, they're they're relentless. They've been able to weather terrible starts by Gary Sanchez and, and Glaber Torres, uh, two guys who haven't gotten going. That's right. at all. And you you hardly notice it because they've been uh, they've been able to make up for another other parts of that lineup. And y- you know they are clearly the favorites to come out. of I would say the favorites to come out of the American League. Well, it's it's them in Tampa Bay. Obviously, they they are <clears throat> starting to distance themselves from the rest of the AL East. Uh, Tampa did that this week yep. by having a good home series against the Yankees and then obviously sweeping the Red Sox. Uh, those two teams. Have, have pulled away a bit from Baltimore and, and Toronto mm-hmm. and look like the two teams, as we expected, quite frankly, uh, who would claim the two playoff spots out of the AL East. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I was uh, thinking um, about uh, just sports in general this, this season, and I remember thinking back in uh, uh, mid-July, before things got going, that, you know... 
it's going to be kind of neat in a sense because we're going to have all these sports going at the same time. We're going to have the uh, NHL and NBA hitting their playoffs while the uh, the the, uh, the Red Sox uh, season gets uh, gets going and. Uh, you know, by the time they wrap up the NBA and NHL uh, playoffs, then we can kind of focus on baseball again and and, and the Red Sox and the and playoffs. And well, guess what? Uh, you know, three weeks later, um, you know, really it's the NBA and NHL playoffs that we're really, <laughs> at least I'm really focused on now because this Red Sox season is all but lost. So you know, I'm <laughs> I'm giving much more weight to uh, the the Celtics and the Bruins these days because man, I don't remember. I, obviously, it's a short season in, in baseball, but I just don't ever remember it being over so quickly. Yeah, it's it's you know it's the nature of sixty games and and the fact that you're going to need to get off to a, a reasonable start here, um, right? Even, even even if you played close to five hundred, you'd be in the mix. You know, I mean, the, the Yankees are uh, twelve and six, and the Rays are. Are twelve and eight, but even if at this point you know you you were, uh, let's say uh, you know nine and uh, you know nine and ten, you know you're still sort of there. You can just sort of make a reasonable uh, um, run for for the postseason. But it you know I, I just have to say I think uh, you know if if they if they get swept by the Yankees and then. Uh, they have a rough week next next week. It's it's pretty much over. Was it was it Yogi Berra who said it, it's it's getting late early? It is. Was it him? Who said it was that? him. Yes. In a sixty game season, Yogi would have been absolutely yeah. right. I mean, th- three three bad weeks and you're done. You're you're done. Yeah. Uh, you know, you start off six and thirteen, and you know tonight they play their twentieth game. That's a third of the a third year. of the year. Yeah. Um. You know, so realistically, you're you're looking at it and you're thinking. Okay, six and thirteen. What sort of pace is that? Well, <laughs> you know, if when they were six and twelve. They were on pace for 20 and 40. Right. Which would have been on pace for 54 and 108 wow. over the course of 162. Wow. Um, you know, so you think about how much you need to dig out from 6 and 13. Yeah. You need to win seven in a row just to get back to 500. Yeah, and there's nothing that this team has shown you that, that makes you think that they could do anything close to that. Be- because as we started off the top, you just don't have the starting pitching to turn this over day in and day out. Right. You don't necessarily give your lineup a chance. You know those guys are looking out at the scoreboard thinking, man, we're down 3 nothing again right. or 5 nothing again. It's, it is mentally taxing on position players to sort of go out there every day and think, all right, I'm going to grind through my bats and we're going to break this guy down and you know, it's going to be a 3-3 game in the 7th and if we nick a couple runs, we we got a chance to win a game here. Sure. Then you go out there and you look at the scoreboard and it's, you know, 3 nothing, 5 nothing, 7 to 2 in in the 6th inning and and you think this is going to be really hard. You know, we're we're not we're just not going to be able to chip away here. And, and score runs against these opposing bullpens, these expanded rosters, these other teams that are making pitching moves quickly and, and bringing in fresh arms. We're just not being set up with a chance to actually get into no, the game. No, it's, it's too much to ask your offense to, to really carry you if your pitching is giving up the, the amount of runs that this pitching staff is giving up. I mean, you know, it, going into the season, if, if you wanted to be an optimist, you would look at it and say, well, you know, if, they're, if their lineup... Um, fulfills uh, the expectations that that uh, I have in that you know they're they're going to have decent years maybe JBJ is going to get on one of his hot streaks early rather than uh, in the the valley that he's been in if uh, Bogarts continues to do what we know he, he can do and Martinez hits and maybe 
Benintendi bounces back and Vasquez continues the year he had from last year, you know, maybe that lineup will help them stay around 500 and give him a puncher's chance. That's what we thought. Right. But even if that were to happen, Bill, even if that all of those things uh, came came true, they still wouldn't be much better than where we, where they are because the, their pitching has just been so horrendous. Yeah. You yeah, it's, it's it's hard to win 11 to 10 every night. You're, <laughs> right. you're not necessarily going to do that. You, you might be able to do it once a week. Right. But not three or four times a week. Not when you play six games a week and you're dropping five of them because of, uh, you know, you're, you're giving up eight, nine, ten runs. So uh, anyway, Bill, uh, before we um, <clears throat> declare the season officially over, I'd say that the, let's wrap this one up and uh, see where we are. In a week after the Red Sox play the Yankees in uh, in the Bronx, they come back for a quick two-game homestand against the Phillies, and then they're off again to Baltimore. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Red Sox between now and then. Um, Bill, you're not going on the on the Yankees trip. Obviously, we're not traveling much th- th- this year. So l- let me ask you, uh, just from a behind-the-curtains uh, standpoint, when the Red Sox are traveling— Obviously, you're not in the opposing stadium as you normally would be. Obviously, every Yankees series you you would normally be covering uh, in New York. Um, but this year, uh, with the pandemic and you know with so much happening on uh, on Zoom and WebEx and and online access, what has it what's it been like covering the team from afar? When now when they're in Fenway, you're at Fenway, obviously. But when they're on the road, you're in Warwick. Uh, so, what's that been like? Uh, well, first, you know, big credit to to Red Sox media relations and and the folks there. Uh, you know, Kevin Gregg, Justin Long, Kyle Montemagno, Brian Almonte, Abby Murphy uh, have done an amazing job for for us. Um, you know, in terms of still giving us access to Ron Renicky and still giving us access to players, and you know, making a, a very difficult time relatively easy for us to, to still do our job. You mean virtual access, obviously. You're not, yes. there's, there's no face-to-face. The, the difference this year, obviously, is that everything is conducted via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the interviews, all the pregame, all the postgame is conducted via Zoom. What happens is, is every day uh, I get an email, usually from Justin Long, uh, with a couple Zoom links and, and a couple times. Uh, you know, players will be available by a certain time. Ron Renicky will be available by a certain time pregame. Um, then postgame, we, we get Ron again, usually about 10 minutes after game, and, and we'll get a couple more players. Yep. Um, the, the reason to travel, and, and it's, it's always been the reason that, that sports writers travel, is for the access. Um, and, I, and I could say to people that normally when you go to Fenway Park and you cover a Red Sox home game, there's about 15 or 20 media members in the home clubhouse. Uh, and it can be difficult to get a player for a one-on-one. It can be difficult to work a side angle because there are just so many of us in there. And a lot of times the players know that, and so they hide pregame. They, <laughs> right. they sort of stay in the trainer's room or they stay right. in the back. All those and, pesky media guys out yet? Well, I can't necessarily blame them uh, you know, because there are a lot of us. Um, yeah. you know, but the reason that you travel is for the access. You, you're generally only going to have you know, 10 at most right. on the road. Um, so you can go to the clubhouse and you can get a player one-on-one and you can get a pitcher a couple days before his start and say, hey, what have you been working on? How do you feel? Right. Um, 
you know, you, you played with this guy on this team and, and he's doing this or that. Right. So, so you might be able to get a story that not everyone else gets because, you know, you were able to just uh, strike up a conversation with a, with a, uh, with a player in, in the clubhouse away from the scrum. That's, that's sort of the relationship building side of this right. uh, that, that, that has been taken away from all of us, really, whether it be in, in everyday society or, or wherever else. Right. Um, you know, that interaction just is not there. Um, you know, so every night we're we're doing Zoom calls pregame, uh, watching the game, doing Zoom calls postgame, uh, and and that's about it. Yep. Um, you know, and it's it's fairly routine covering baseball and and playing baseball for that matter is is a a routine thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sort of try to do the same thing every day. Um, you know, so for me, it's pregame Zoom call. You write an early feature. You write an early notebook. You watch the game. You write your game story. Uh, for me, this was suggested by you last year, and, and the powers that be here at the Journal write a post game column every day. Mm. Uh, you know, have a take about that day's game, whatever it might be, and, and try to lead the website with that uh, the next morning. Right. Um, because everyone's watched the game. You know what you know what's happened. You can get some comments from the players or, or from the manager about what happened, but you know, maybe try to put your own spin on the game, on the team in a broader context, whatever it might be. Sure. Um, so for me, it, it'll just be, you know, I'll be on my couch at about 4 o'clock and players will be available after that. And uh, Ron Renicki will be available tonight at 5. And uh, I think the game starts at 7. Yep. Um, so between 5 and 7, I'll, I'll be writing and, you know, maybe having a, a quick bite to eat for dinner. Um, and then I'll watch the game like everybody else. Sure. Uh, you know, it's 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 different. It, it's it's strange, um, but it's very 2020, I would say. Absolutely. Well, it, you know, hats do go off to the Red Sox and, and the other pro teams that have, have, you know, figured out a way to to make sure the media has access to players and coaches uh, in this in these strange times. The question, Bill, and, and we don't know what the answer is now, is once we get past the pandemic, are are uh, you know will companies look at it and say well gee why don't why don't the Red Sox keep doing that you know it's a lot friendlier to our travel budget if we don't have to go to Minnesota and Texas and Florida all the time uh, now I like to think we're going to keep traveling when when it makes sense but it has kind of opened up a different way of looking at, at at sports coverage I think we this is very much the European model uh, if you look at European soccer major European soccer uh, you know the English Premier League the Champions League whatever it may be yep. you don't have anywhere near the amount of access to the players that you do here mm-hmm. um, locker rooms are not open uh, you know clubhouses are not so you don't wander in and, and uh, sidle up to Ronaldo and say hey I got a couple of questions for you you, you don't get to walk up to Ronaldo <laughs> or to Virgil van Dyke or right. to Mohamed Salah uh, <laughs> and say hey I want to ask you about uh, playing Brighton last week you know what were you thinking on, on that free kick right. that is not a luxury afforded to you they have what's called a mix zone uh, which after the game the players are, are quite literally walking from the locker room to the bus oh uh, and you so you can and, assault them there, well, and, you, so to speak. and you're you're sort of roped off. It's <laughs> yeah. like a red carpet at a Hollywood event. So you can try and get get some uh, get some FaceTime with them. There. You try and grab a, a player on the way to the bus, and yeah. and ideally you have some sort of back channel relationship with that player through his agent or through his family. Right. Um, the player might recognize you and, and come over for a few minutes. Yep. Um, you know, you might be able to get a one-on-one with a player on the phone through his family or his agent. Um, but the clubs 
aren't necessarily going to set that up for you. They're not necessarily going to give you the access. Yeah. Uh, American journalism ha- has always been different yeah. in that regard. Um, yeah, we want to be there. We want to talk to you. And, right. and so, you know, that is definitely something that I know the BBWAA has addressed uh, both in spring training and, and early in this season. Um, you know, not just what would happen this year, but what clubs think about going forward. And, mm. and I know that that's something that they want to preserve. Um, you know, that access, that day to day, that that sort of grind that you're able to go on. Um, you know, the fact that you're able to, to follow a baseball team for six months, uh, to be around the players for that much, uh, it really adds a lot to, sure. to what you're able to do. And, and, and you know, it would be a shame if we were to lose that. Um, you know, I can't necessarily say that I know what's going to happen after this year. No, no one does. No one does. It's a brave and strange new world. Well, with that, Bill, thank you for taking uh, some time uh, as usual. Uh, we will see where the Red Sox stand in uh, in a few more days and reconvene in the luxurious downtown empty offices of the Providence Journal mm. and talk about it again. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill.